Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Professional Sports Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jack Murphy. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. As playoffs are getting closer and closer, we still don't really know what the fuck is going on. But on the bright side, my best bets went 3-1 and one last week, so hopefully you guys capitalized and won some money off of those. Outside of a few teams like the Packers, the Cardinals, and apparently the Patriots, everyone still seems to be tripping over their own feet. Competition feels closer than ever. And I also want to add and give credit where it is due. I believe it was Mike Florio of the professional or of Pro Football Talk that said this. The Vikings are the definition of average. They can lose to any team. They can also beat anyone. Well, this is more true than ever this week as the Lions march to their first win of the year. Those videos of them celebrating were fucking awesome. But let me get not, let me not get ahead of myself. In today's episode, we are going to be recapping some of my key takeaways from week 13. Some players, particularly at the quarterback position, have some very intriguing storylines going on as people are trying to prove themselves and others are making their case for MVP. But of course, there's much more than that. There's going to be a lot to still be determined in the next few weeks of regular season football. There's still a lot of playoff, or excuse me, still a lot of regular season football left to decide seeding. And we know how important that can be for MVP votes for, for all that type of shit. So we're going to get into some of that. There's also some moves that could happen this offseason that I think aren't too early to be talked about. And finally, I'm going to go over teams that are just on the cusp of making the playoffs and whether or not I think they will make it. I will conclude this episode by talking about teams and players I was wrong about and other things I was right about. Let's start it off by talking about some of those quarterbacks. Let's start with Tua Tungavailoa and his Red Hot Dolphins. Suddenly, they're very close to 500. I believe they are now 6-7, and seven, just one game behind. They've won five in a row, and Tua is silencing haters of his very own, and he's silencing some doubters in his own front office. We know the Dolphins were frontrunners before the trade line to get into Sean Watson, and since that deadline has passed, the Dolphins haven't lost a single game. Unfortunately, I think it's a little too little too late. I think they're still going to be the eighth team out of playoff contention, but Tua is playing very conservative, he's limiting his mistakes, and he's letting the defense carry the heavy load, which to be honest, I thought and still think if Tua was healthy all year, they would have won a lot more games with this formula. It doesn't help that their defense practically took two months to be where I thought it would be at the beginning of the year. We can't forget this team beat New England in week one, and regardless of playoff contention, Tua kind of feels like he falls into that Jimmy G, Baker Mayfield, Teddy Bridgewater type mold where his ceiling's probably very limited due to his inability to stretch the field consistently, but he's more competent in, than most people realize, and this is a run-first offense. It really feels like they should bring him back for next year, in my opinion. Maybe get one more weapon on the outside, bring in one of those dudes from Alabama would be a great move for them. And again, I just think that, of course... There are a bunch of quarterbacks that you just can't say no to if they were, you know, available and willing to go play for Miami. But I truly think that they should just load up their roster with all these draft picks they've collected. I think if they get, again, I think if they get two another weapon or two, I think we can be confident with their personnel they have on defense. And they should just let Tua continue to grow and flourish. Because at the end of the day, they're really not paying much of 
paying him much at all. And it's not like he's losing games for them. So it's going to be very intriguing to see how he closes out the season. And again, it's going to be very intriguing to see what Miami chooses to do in the offseason. Again, if it was me, I would keep two around and try and continue to build that roster around him, continue to allow him to prove himself. And I think that you can win a lot of football games with Tua as your quarterback of the future. The next quarterback I want to talk about is in a very similar scenario to Tua. It's Taylor Heineke. I've talked about him in a previous episode, so I'm not going to go over him as extensively. But they're both in very similar scenarios because they are both quarterbacks with limited ceilings. But also, since they're both fairly young or inexperienced in the case of Taylor Heineke, they're still growing. They're still flourishing into their you know, true NFL selves. And with that being said, I don't think it'd be the right move to draft someone new. It doesn't help that both of these teams are going to have picks around the middle of the draft and most high upside QBs will already be gone at that point. But I just think a team just like the Dolphins will be the first, this team, excuse me, just like the Dolphins, this team is going to be just out of playoff contention in my opinion. But again, if there's a veteran they can't pass up, I think they may do it. Their roster is plenty good and I can at least expect above average defensive play from their young and improving studs leading the way. But again, between McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson, a good offensive line, not a great one. There's a lot to like here, and I think that they have a lot to work or work around and work for for Taylor Heineke moving forward. They aren't exactly a big market either, and their front office has, has some seriously unhealthy buzz come out of it, which may steer some veterans away. So again, I think Heineke is still the answer there. Again, it all comes down to... Does the front office really want to gamble on the unknown of a rookie quarterback or stick with their guy and essentially expect him to play within the offense's boundaries? And I think that they'll keep him around, which, by the way, I'm not saying I think that's what they should do. I'm not saying they shouldn't necessarily either, but that's just what I think they will do. And I think that's the smartest thing that they can do for themselves. Now, there are two more quarterbacks I want to talk about. They're in very different positions from the previous previously mentioned two guys, but they're very much still worth in talk, talking about. The first of which is Aaron Rodgers. We all know he ripped off Michael Jordan, claiming this to be his last dance here in Green Bay. But I just want to say, what happens if he wins the Super Bowl this year? I mean, Green Bay, in my opinion, is the best team in the league right now. And they're a very real position to have the NFC playoffs run through Green Bay. So another question is, which I don't think will happen because of voter fatigue, what if he wins another MVP? I mean, there's just a lot of questions. And as much as I want Rodgers out of the NFC North being a Bears fan, personally, I don't think it would be wise for him to leave. I mean, the Packers have great personnel. They've got a great coach. They've got good weapons, not great ones. They've got a really good defense and Again, they're in a really bad division in the NFC North. So I don't really think it'd make much sense for Aaron Rodgers to leave. We already know he wants to. He's established before the year even started that this is going to be his last hurrah. But again, if he wins the MVP, if he wins a Super Bowl, what then? Is he really still going to walk away from this opportunity with a great coach, great GM, a really bad division the rest of the talent around him? He would still easily be the best quarterback in that division if he stayed. So again, it's just... A lot of uncertainties here, and I don't think it'd be very wise of him to leave Green Bay as much as I want him to. Now, the next quarterback I got to talk about is in a very different situation from Rodgers, but in a way kind of similar. This is Russell Wilson. It's different because I think he should absolutely get out of Seattle. I don't think he should be even considering 
you know, staying there. They've proven they aren't great at roster building and their cap is very tight. So they aren't going to be making very many big free agency moves in the future here. And also their division, unlike the Packers in the NFC North, is just absolutely brutal. And those teams are not looking like they're going to go away anytime soon. And so the question becomes, where does he go? Some people say the Steelers, some people say the Broncos, some people say the Panthers, but truly I think the best fit for him, and I don't think it would happen, but I really want to see it happen. I think he should try and go to New Orleans. I mean, the fit would be instant and it'd be amazing if he would bring back everything Drew Brees had and then some, if Michael Thomas can stay healthy, this would be lethal and him and Sean Payton would absolutely be amazing together. The problem is, is cap space. Unfortunately, a player like Marshawn Lattimore might have to be in that package to go get someone like Russell Wilson, because I didn't realize this, but Lattimore is actually getting paid $27 million next year. That is absolutely insane. That is franchise quarterback numbers. And right now he's not playing like he's worth that salary. I'm not saying that he's not a great cornerback and that he's due to have his ups and downs because I still think he can perform at an extremely high level. But right now, I, I don't think he's worth $27 million a year. And again, with this trade, they, can get, they can't get every bit of that off their books. But still, if they trade him after, I think it was June 1st, they get about $14 million off their books immediately. In Seattle, we know how they like their cover corners. And the Saints need a QB. So it seems like a win-win for both teams because it seems like Russ is going to leave regardless. They obviously want to get something for him. They're not just going to let him walk. And to be clear, I don't think this will work out. But again, I really want it to. For Russ's sake, for Sean Payton's sake, I hope they find a way to make it work. Being more realistic, I think he'll probably end up with a team with more cap space like the Steelers or the Panthers, who, by the way, owe Robbie Anderson $17 million next week. I thought that was nuts. Sorry, I was just throwing that out there because I was looking at all the cap money and all the situations where they could get him. And yeah, being more realistic, I think he'll end up at a team like this. But I think the fit in New Orleans would be absolutely amazing if they could find a way to pay him and bring him in. I think it would just be an instant fit, and I think it'd be extremely fun to watch. So I really hope he ends up there. All right, now with all those quarterbacks being talked about and getting those out of the way, let's get into some of these games that happened. I'm going to start with the loser bowl, or should I say not losers bowl, the Lions versus the Vikings. Of course, just when I started to want to buy into the Vikings, they lose a respectfully to a good team in the 49ers and then they get embarrassed in typical Vikings fashion giving the Lions their first win of the season I mean good for the Lions I couldn't help but cheer for them watching this game at my work they were up early it never really felt like it mattered I just kept saying the Lions were gonna find a way to mess it up and to be frank they kind of did they let the Vikings come back after being down by as much as 14 the Vikings just slowly clawed their way back in this game uh Jared Goff had a late interception. That didn't matter all that much, but they were led by their explosive plays. The Vikings were by none other than Mr. Explosive himself, Justin Jefferson. And they took the lead with a minute and 50 left, and the Lions had no timeouts and 75 yards to travel down the field. I really didn't think they could do it. I don't think anyone watching that broadcast thought they could. And Jared Goff ended up marching his boys 75 yards down the field and winning in a walk-off touchdown. On the topic of that walk-off touchdown, what the hell was that coverage? I mean, I'll keep it brief because I'm sure most of you guys have already heard enough about it. Cam Dantzler just absolutely screwed the pooch on this one. Who, by the way, 
Cam had a really good pick before this. He, excuse me, I mean, what the fuck? Earlier in the fourth quarter, which I thought would have been the backbreaker for the Lions, he had a pick, and I thought when that happened, you know, this game is over. The Vikings are going to go down the field and score again. It didn't end up happening. And, I mean, he just played such strange coverage in the end zone on this play. I watched this play probably about 10 times, and I just couldn't figure out why he was playing so deep. I mean, maybe he was worried about the corner post. That's my only thought on that throw. But that's so much of a lower probability throw that you should be forcing that anyways. You should be playing the goal line and not letting anything come right in front of you and forcing him to throw the ball over you because again, that's a much harder throw to make. I get it, the safety should be bracketing the inside, but why the hell are you line? He didn't even line up in bad positioning. He wasn't lined up in the end zone or anything when the ball was snapped. Pre-snap, it looked like he was in completely fine position. But he just continued to drop deeper and deeper and just let Amara get in that little soft spot of the zone. And I mean, credit to Amara St. Brown for finding the soft spot. Credit for Goff to, for recognizing it and using it and winning the game off of it. But I mean, pre-snap, he was in fine positioning. He just continues to drop and it makes no sense. You've got a safety over the top. Play in front of the guy. Don't let anything come in front of you because... It's like he forgot, like, oh yeah, the first two yards of the end zone are also still the end zone. I mean, it was just so weird. He was so worried about getting burned over the top when there was such little positioning left on the field. It just didn't make any sense at all. He also had a safety playing on the inside of him. Again, the only ball that really should have been able to get in there was a corner post, just by the way their formation was. And that's so much of a harder pass to throw. And again, Dantzler is a pretty athletic cornerback. You can let him beat you over the top because you have that safety there and then you can bracket and double him. It just, it was so awkward looking. It made no sense. I don't know if the coaching is to blame for that because if Mike Zimmer told him to play that kind of soft coverage, that would make a little more sense. But I can't believe that he would have done that. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense why he would put himself in that position. He was an absolute fine position in pre-snap. He just had to keep that leverage, let him go over the top of him because the safety has him trust that your safety is going to be there and just don't let like that's the one thing you couldn't let happen he let happen so again very frustrating to watch felt very bad for vikings fans in this one but again good for the lions very happy they got the win i couldn't help but root for them at the end of this game because again i am a bears fan but regardless they deserve this win and i was really just i didn't no one wants to see bad teams in the nfl Obviously, all rivalries set aside and all that stuff. No one wants that. Everyone wants teams to be competitive. Everyone wants a chance of making the playoffs. And it was just a very, very satisfying win to see the Vic- or to see the Lions pull this off. All right. I hear a dog barking, so let me pause this really quick. All right. Hopefully, that wasn't too loud on your guys' end. We're going to get into the next game here. The next game I want to talk about is Cincinnati Bengals versus the Los Angeles Chargers. What an absolutely massive win for the Chargers. I talked about this game very extensively in my preview pod and the implications it had on the AFC playoff picture. With this game and the Chargers getting the victory, they're firmly set as the five seed as of now. And this was not just a win, it was a statement. I mean, it looked like the Bengals were going to come back and the Chargers just absolutely pulled away. Chargers defense stepped up, capitalized in key moments. They looked a lot better against the run in this game, which I was not expecting at all. 
And let me just say, this team is very confusing. They've had some very humbling losses, such as the ones against the Ravens. And they've had some huge wins, such as this one here, their win against the Browns in week three, I believe it was. And overall, I think this team could give a lot of other teams issues in the playoffs, but I don't think they're a legitimate true contender right now. But regardless, they're very fun to watch. They're finding ways to win. And as far as the Bengals go, they were looking like they could be serious contenders in the AFC, and I was really starting to buy in. A win here would have placed them in the lead of the AFC North with that Ravens loss against the Steelers. So again, it's just a win they needed so badly. I still think they have a very real chance of winning this division. But again, this is an absolute must-win game for them in terms of wildcard seedings, in terms of playoff seedings, and... The Chargers just capitalized. The Chargers looked really sharp in this game. Justin Herbert was absolutely balling, throwing some absolute darts down the field. And um, I was just very impressed with how their defense played. It was an overall team effort. They, they looked very impressive. If they can sustain this, they can be absolutely anybody in the league. I'm not too worried about Cincinnati. I think they'll bounce back. I still think that there's those mistakes that you saw, the Jamar Chase weird fumbled not catch turned into an interception and then Joe Mixon fumbling and getting a return for the house. I don't think we're going to see that on a regular basis. I think they'll clean that stuff up. And I still think with all these injuries happens to the Ravens and Lamar being in his little slump, they should definitely be in strong contention for the AFC North title. And I think they have a very serious shot. Honestly, right now, I think they should be favored to win that division. But yeah, not too much to say here. Just a huge win overall in terms of playoff races, playoff hopes, and an absolute must-win game for the Chargers. So very glad they did. This game, I'll put it this way, was a lot more important to the Chargers than it was to Cincinnati because even with the Cincinnati loss, they still have a very real chance of winning the division. The Chargers needed this win if they have any shot of catching up to the Chiefs who are winning the division. So again, I think this game says a lot more about the Chargers than it does Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati is going to be absolutely fine. And I think this proves that the Chargers are a legitimate playoff contention team. Now, the next game I want to talk about is a game I was very wrong about, but it was crazy entertaining. I honestly couldn't be mad about it. It was possibly the most entertaining game of the weekend. And even though it fucked me from going perfect on my best bets, which of course I have a lot of pride behind those best bets, I could have gone 4-0 if I nailed this one. But whatever, I have to say this game was fun as hell. It is the Seahawks versus the 49ers. Pete Carroll made some absolutely huge calls in this game that changed the tide of the game. Most prominent of these calls was that fake punt that was taken to the crib. And in a way, the Seahawks kind of outnined the Niners. I thought it was really impressive what Pete Carroll did. He's kind of coaching for his job right now. If you guys haven't heard a lot of the narratives that he might be fired, which I don't think is completely fair, but I understand where those reasonings are coming from and again i think he's he's really playing for his job here and games like this is where you got to save it it's games like this that you got to win and prove to your front office that you can still win especially because it's a divisional matchup these are the games you got to prove to your front office that you can win consistently you can still keep at least competitive and he did absolutely that he came out with a huge win for his team which are basically playing for nothing and the 49ers are very much in contention for a playoff spot let me get this dog to stop barking Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. These dogs just driving me crazy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Pete Carroll's made some really huge calls. He's definitely coaching for his job right now. And it was very impressive to see him get this win. I think it's a huge momentum swinger for the front office. I hope they keep him around because I still think he deserves a spot on this. Uh, I almost said 49ers. On this Seahawks team. And 
regardless, I was trying to say that the Seahawks kind of out-ninered the Niners. They didn't ask Russ to do too very much, and they ran the ball effectively enough, controlling the game and showing the clock. Also, the Niners were sloppy in this game with 10 penalties for 86 yards, which in a game like this, in this divisional matchup, in, this in a game that the team knows you very, very well, Stuff like that is just extremely crucial. Overall, it just came down to execution. I mean, the Seahawks were two for two on fourth down conversions, although both teams did have three turnovers. The Seahawks did a much better job capitalizing on these Niners mistakes when compared to the Niners. And I really counted the Seahawks out. The Niners were red hot coming into this game. The Seahawks practically have nothing to play for. Yet these teams do not like each other at all. Pete Carroll, again, coaching for his job. And I think the players are really rallying around Russ. I think the players are just so motivated to keep Russell Wilson there because they know how important he is to that whole entire franchise. So overall, I was just very impressed with the Seahawks and disappointed in the 49ers. Still looking like a wild card team to me, but I did lose a lot of confidence in them in this game. And I think that you know, the questions just have to come back up to the surface for 49ers fans. What the hell are we going to do at our quarterback position? Is Trey Lance ready yet? Jimmy G is still causing a little too many mistakes. Jimmy G's got a very limited ceiling. And again, this is a very passionate fan base with very high expectations, as they should. Their roster is very, very good. We all know that. Their coaching staff is very good. And Jimmy G just seems to make boneheaded mistakes in crucial moments where you can't make mistakes like that. So Niners fans have to be getting a little worried. I still think you're a playoff team, but you know, how much does that really matter when comparing to the rest of the NFC? Because there's some teams that just look so much better than the Niners right now, particularly the Packers, the Bucks, the Cardinals. We all know those teams are just elite cream of the crop teams right now. Serious Super Bowl contenders. I don't think San Francisco can compete with teams like that. And if you can't beat a team like Seattle, even in their own building, you're not going to get past a team like Green Bay in Green Bay or Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay or Arizona in Arizona. So again, pretty concerning for them. And I think they have a very interesting offseason ahead of them, to say the least. All right. The final game I want to talk about is a game I was very excited coming into this week. I was actually looking forward to it for many, many weeks before this happened. And I just want to say, I told you so. This is the Patriots versus the Bills. The Patriots are definitely the best team in the AFC and Belichick is somewhere right now watching a fire stroking a bald cat as his master plan reveals itself in just absolutely amazing fashion if there was any doubts of his ability as a GM I believe that can all be put to rest now uh, I think that Bill is fully worthy if anyone's gonna win executive or whatever they call it GM of the year I forgot there's like a technical term for that award I don't think it's called GM of the year but if there's a way where one guy can win GM of the year and also coach the year. Bill Belichick fucking deserves it because he rebuilt this roster in one offseason doing all those free agency moves that we weren't so sure about. They're paying off dividends between those two tight ends who are very impactful on the game. Uh, between Kendrick Bourne, who's had a huge impact. Nelson Aguilar has been here or there, but he's still been solid for them. And of course, Matthew Judon, who's leading the league in sacks right now, has been an absolute fucking stud for them. So again, if anyone was ever doubting his abilities as a GM, he has silenced all those people. If anyone is deserving of getting both coach of the year and GM of the year, it is Bill Belichick. And just for, for shit's sake, I'll get to this in a second. If Brady wins the MVP and Belichick wins coach of the year and they meet in the Super Bowl, 
how fucking cool would that be? Like, come on. I don't care how much you hate the Patriots. I don't care how much you hate Tom Brady. That would be so awesome. I want that to happen so bad. Getting back to the game, though, the Bills don't match up well with the Patriots at all. I think in order to beat the Patriots, you need to be able to stop the run and run the ball effectively. And right now, although the Bills can stop the run fairly well, their offense is so centered around Josh Allen and these weapons on the perimeter that the Patriots' secondary is just far too dominant to rely on this style of play, especially in these conditions. I mean, this... Being in the middle of a snowstorm, literally like 50 mile an hour winds at times, it was just such a positive game script for the Patriots who want to run the hell out of the ball anyways. And of course, Buffalo's identity is stretching the field and throwing the ball. In conditions like that, that's not really an option. And again, in January, running the ball and winning with defenses is how you get to championships. So again, I just think the Patriots are a much better team set up for success in the future. And I seriously think there's 100% playoff contenders i think there's a very good chance that the afc playoffs will be through new england and they're going to be extremely tough to beat i mean i like the way they match up with just about every team in the afc right now and i think their super bowl window is wide open i mean again please give us a brady belichick super bowl if it were up to me i would want the bucks to get the one seed and i'd want the patriots to get the one seed and it would just be so fucking awesome it'd be like something from a movie it really would now, staying on the topic of MVPs and awards and all that, there's a question circulating around the league that I think I need to address. If the Cardinals get the one seed, should Kyler Murray be the MVP? And in my honest opinion, as much as I love Kyler, and I even said in my, my, uh, my first pod of the season, before the season started, I thought the Cardinals were going to, foolishly, I thought they were going to go 7-10, and 10, which was something I was very wrong about. I said that it was in no reason because of Kyler Murray and his talent. But with all that being said, if the Packers are the two seed and the Bucks end up with the three seed, the Cardinals end up with the one seed, I think he probably will win the MVP. Whereas if the Bucks catch the Packers and get the two seed and the Packers end up with the three seed, I think Brady will probably win the MVP. And I think he'll deserve it. I mean, in terms of value... He is practically first in every single category. He's first in attempts. He's first in completions. He's first in passing touchdowns. He's first in passing yards. He's on pace for 45 touchdowns and over 5,000 yards passing. That's his best statistical year since he absolutely put the league on notice in 2011 when he won the MVP. And I don't know. It's, it's going to be a very intriguing race between these two guys i think it's going to come down to these two guys because i don't think rogers is going to win it even if they get the one seed simply because voter fatigue i don't think they want to pick the mvp of the same guy in back-to-back years i don't know it could happen but i think that the league just loves new so i again i think they will give it to kyler i think the cardinals will probably end up with that one seed but if they don't i think tom brady is more than deserving of it and it's again this is not a a discredit to Kyler Murray because Kyler Murray has been absolutely incredible but you can almost argue that the fact that when he was gone those three games and they continued winning almost hurt him in a weird way because it kind of proved that the team can still win without him whereas if you put Blaine Gabbert in that offense in Tampa Bay who knows what the hell they do as long as well as all those categories that I mentioned before that Brady's just leading the way in and honestly pulling away from most people in to do that at the age of 45 to do it with this new team 
just one year after he joined them is just so incredible. And I think he is deserving of the MVP. So before I head out, I'm going to talk about a couple things I was right about, a couple things I was wrong about. First off, I want to say, having listened to my pre-season podcast, my first ever episode, that was extraordinarily painful. I was so bad at that shit. Like, I, I definitely have gotten better. My use of ums have definitely gone down, but I also don't get, like, ridiculously close to my microphone anymore, so I don't sound ridiculously overexposed. And, man, it was so fucking hard to listen to that. Uh, so fucking hard. Um, um sorry uh, someone walked in my room but they left quickly when they realized i was recording my podcast <laughs> um so yeah some things i guess we can just start with some things i was right about or some things i'm looking to be right about is first off the washington football team i said in my pre-season podcast i believe that they were going to go eight and nine it's looking like they're going to end up right around there i also said that they were going to probably be the last team out of the nfc playoff picture while they still are in the playoff picture, I, I, I hate to say it, I think the Eagles are going to catch up to them. I think the Eagles might steal that seventh seed from them, and I still think there's a very real chance that they're going to take the eighth seed. So I guess we still have to wait a few weeks to see if I'm exactly right about this prediction, but it's looking like I'm very close to being right. One thing I was very wrong about is, I already addressed it earlier, was the Arizona Cardinals. I said that they were going to go 7-10 and 10 and finish last in their division. Yeah, they uh, they already got 10 wins, so that's not looking good. They're looking like they might get the one seed in the NFC, and Kyler Murray might be the NF MVP. So, yeah, that, that prediction just got thrown out the window very quick. I um, look like a real fool for that one. But regardless, I'm happy to say I was wrong about that one. I'm also happy to say I was decently right about Kyler Murray, as already stated earlier. I said that that was in no way a point of um, – there was no way that that was related to Kyler Murray's talent or Kyler Murray's play. I thought Kyler Murray was going to be absolutely incredible this year. I just did, truly didn't see the rest of this roster stepping up the way it has been. I didn't see their defense being this good. I didn't see some of the younger guys and their veterans that they brought in, such as A.J. Green and J.J. Watt, contributing so heavily, even if J.J. Watt is out for the season. A.J. Green has been a great move for them. And... I was very wrong about them. I didn't think that they had any shot of winning the division. I thought the Rams were going to pull away with it. I truly thought I was buying into the Rams side very hard. The Rams are still a very good team and they still could be Super Bowl contenders. I don't think they necessarily are. But again, I was wrong about the Cardinals and I'm, I'm happy to say I was. Another team I was wrong about and I think most people were also these are these are I'm not ashamed to say I was wrong about any of these because these weren't exactly hot takes before the season. And I think a lot of people didn't really see some of these teams to have the success they did. But this is the Cincinnati Bengals. I really didn't like their move to get Jamar Chase instead of Penny Sewell. I really thought that this team was just a few years out and I thought that their division was just way too tough. I thought the Browns were going to be a lot better than they are. And clearly they're falling apart. Baker Mayfield's not looking like himself at all. And there's a lot of questions in the Browns future, but yeah, I was wrong about the Bengals. I think I said they were going to win like six games, maybe seven games. I don't remember what it was, but they're already past those marks. They're looking like they're going to be the winners of the AFC North. In my opinion, I think they will be. And Hey, again, I'm not too upset about this one. I really thought that 
a lot of people were saying before the season that the Bengals weren't going to be all that good. I think a lot of people were down the Bengals, and I think that's for a fair point. I don't think that they they had a lot of question marks coming into the season. They've proved a lot of us wrong, and I'm okay with that. I'm very glad that they are. A thing I was right about, at least fairly right about, was the Patriots. I actually thought that I didn't see it to this capacity by any means. I really didn't think that they would be this good, but I don't think anyone did again. But I still thought they were going to be a very complete team. I still thought they were going to be a playoff team, although I didn't expect them to make the playoffs by winning the division, which is looking more and more likely like they're going to, and also secure the one seed in the AFC, which is just fucking... If you told someone that before the season, maybe they wouldn't be surprised because, you know, it's Belichick and he's a mastermind and all that. But, like, I don't know, even... Six weeks into the season, if you told me that, I would have been extremely surprised. They were two and four at one point, and they haven't lost in fucking what, like seven, eight weeks? It's just crazy what's going on there in New England. But either way, I was right about them. I thought that they their moves they made in the offseason were very impactful. I thought they were building their roster very nicely. I thought they were going to have a very strong run game, and their defense was going to lead the way. But again, I didn't see some of these other things unraveling the way they did. Regardless, those are a couple things I was right and wrong about. To conclude this episode, there are a few quarterbacks with very intriguing stories to end the year, both veterans and young bucks. I think the Packers and the Patriots are the best team in their given conferences, but the MVP race is going to reside outside of those number one seeds, which is not normal. I think it's going to come down to Kyler Murray or Tom Brady, depending on the seeding that they fall in. And the NFC, or excuse me, the AFC North race, should be running through Cincinnati, not the Ravens. And wildcard races are getting very intriguing with teams like Dolphins, the Washington football team getting hot, and the teams like the Vikings, the 49ers, and the Ravens really cooling off right now. So that's going to do it for me in this episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. That's my 13, week 13 recap. If you guys did, be sure to share it with a friend. Make sure to follow my Instagram at Professional Sports Talk, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Be sure to tune in Thursday for my preview episode of Week 14's action because there are some fucking awesome games coming up, guys. Look forward to it. Bills, Bucks, just saying it now. Game of the week. It's going to be fucking awesome. Super good to go. Hopefully Brady can add to that MVP race, and I think he will. I think the Bucks are going to pull off this win here. Actually, I shouldn't say that yet because I don't know where this game is. Either way, it's going to be a fucking awesome game. Can't wait for it. Make sure to tune in Thursday to hear my thoughts on that game because I definitely will be talking about it. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. That's it from me. Peace out.